Oh, Father God, we're asking that you continually be tender and merciful to us. Teach us by your word. Lord, give us a greater and a better understanding of our mission. In Jesus' name, amen. See, our young people are, being, are growing up without mission. They, they, they feel that they don't have no uh, worth in life. They have no direction. And it's because the family is not mission-orientated. Amen? You know, just like our colleges. Our colleges are too expensive. And I'm saying this on tape, and I hope they hear it. And our kids are leaving our colleges with $30,000, dollars $50,000 in debt. The Army comes along, says, you join for two, three years, and we'll pay that off for you. And they're thinking and they're fretting, how am I going to pay off this big debt? But if I just go in the military, they, they're caught. And so young people think they have no other option. Brothers and sisters, you do have an option. Amen? God has a job for you. I remember I was at camp meeting, and, and a dear sister came up to me with her kid. He's like four, no, 12, and he was, he's been gung-ho ever since he's been walking that he wanted to join the military. So I gave him my book, and I talked to him. I said, listen, God has a job for you. You can't do it when you put on their uniform. You can't preach this gospel. But God has a job for you. Have you prayed over that? He said, Lord, where do you want me? Where do you want me in the ministry? I don't know what part of the ministry, but everyone has been called to the ministry. Amen? Amen. Where do you want me in the ministry? I said, I want, I want to pray with you, and I want you to go back. That kid came to me the next day. He read that whole book, Reading Machine. Came back, says, Pastor. He said, you know what I think? I think I'm just going to go ahead and be a pastor. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Of course, that didn't hurt my feelings any. Whatever ministry you desire to go into, go into it. But you can't do that, and you cannot fulfill that role in the military. And we're going to prove that right here. So, I want to, I want to re, reiterate this. When the chaplains came into the when, when the government asked our church for chaplaincy, this was our church's response. Our church said no to the chaplaincy. It said, why? Because government employment and remuneration from public funds for the teaching of religion is a violation of biblical principles regarding church and state. You put on the uniform, you can't preach our message. You've got to preach it the way the army wants it. Amen? Because they're paying you. You have their uniform on. Amen? Does that make sense? Two, the church's position is to have complete separation of church and state. And states, as stated by the General Conference Committee of January 29, 1908, clergy employed by the government could not preach the full gospel message for this prophetic hour. Has that changed? Can they still go in and say, hey, you've got to keep the Sabbath not to work, not to bear arms, not to shoot somebody? Can they do that now? Has it changed? No, it hasn't changed. Then how, did, how come we got people joining the military left and right? What happened when our church said no? Well, what they said, they changed it after Vietnam. So, well, we leave it up to the individual conscience. That's dangerous. Amen? Is truth subjected to your conscience and how you feel? No, our feelings should be subjected to the Word of God. Amen? Embarrassment would arise from the chaplains who would have to defend the church's non-combatant position and at the same time fulfill their function as morale builders. And you're going to see that in the video clip here in a second. The purpose of ministering to seven-day Adventists in the military can be best carried for by the camp pastor plan. The possibility of seven-day Adventist chaplains being placed where other seven-day Adventists are placed is very remote. We don't have to, and I love what Pastor Randy Ski, you know, that was bold last night what he did. 
But I praise God for that man. But you know why it seems so bold? Because no one else is willing to preach that. If we were hearing that all the time, that would seem fluff. Amen? It would seem, it would seem you know what, powerful, but it wouldn't be so, uh, seem so direct and, and so, you know, so. Some people think it was out of line. It was too much. I don't. It's just that's not being talked about. And God bless them young people who came up front after that appeal. I was almost in tears. I, I thought about that all night long, that appeal. It, it, one of the greatest appeals I ever heard. Because I deal with this all the time. In unequally yoked marriages and stuff like this. You're not your own. You don't have right to do that which you, you feel is right. You have to do what God tells you to do. Amen? And he made a good appeal. He did it because he loved you. He took a risk because of love. And I was proud of that appeal. And when I seen them, I didn't think anyone would go up, to tell you the truth, personally. I said, wow, I, that would scare me after death. Thank God I'm married. She is something. Woo! You know? I said, praise God. But when I seen people getting out of their pews, tears almost came to my eyes. That's a person who wants to serve Jesus Christ. And then when he said, you got to make a phone call and don't discuss anything, I'm here to make a statement. I said, oh, can you make it any worse? <laughs> but he was right brothers and sisters and our young people are leaving the church left and right because of these type of relationships I deal with it all the time as a pastor and it breaks my heart I got parents coming to me in tears I got them after they grow up and they have kids and the kids are divided they don't know which way to go and I have to come and try to console them but what am I going to say you made that choice And I preached that to my daughter left and right. I preached that to my son. Thank God he got, he, he went out and he married a marginal seven-day advantage like he was, you know, whatever that means too. You know, one who's struggling, really don't want to go to church. I'm my own man. Let me feel my way. But after they got married, she just had her, they just had their first child and uh, she's going through a conversion. Praise God. And it's killing my son. <laughs> he gives me a call. He says, Dad, is that right that she drags me out of bed on the Sabbath morning and makes me go to church? I said, I can't find a biblical principle to go against it. <laughs> I know God don't force, but didn't say your wife couldn't. Huh? He said, she grabbed me by my ankle and dragged me out of bed and said, I'm going to church this morning. I said, tell her how much I love her. <laughs> huh? Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I want to reiterate what I said in the first session, because this one's even going to be a little harder, is that the command in the Bible is that you're to love me. What's the command? Love Except for when? No exception, is there? So no matter what I say up here, when we leave this place, you're going to talk nothing but love about me. <laughs> right? Well, wait, wasn't that the command? Is that the command, that you're to love me? So, no matter what, when you leave this place, you should still be loving me, right? No matter what I say, and I'm to be loving you. And I want to put a disclaimer out here. I'm not here to condemn anybody who's joined the military, amen? If you leave here and say, Pastor Phillips condemns uh, this person, that person, you're not saying what I said. God loves everybody, amen? And some, sometimes people are not educated in certain things, and they do what their heart has led them, but it wasn't educated, but they still did it. And God bless them, Amen? But I'm here to educate you. 
And when you leave this place, you'll know. Amen? So this was the church's stance. They said no. Okay? The complex nature of the chaplaincy, the truth and reconciliation commission of South Africa uh, report spent considerable time discussing the influence of the chaplaincy on the South Africa's apartheid regime. The report states this, whatever the motivation of the individual chaplains, their participation served to reinforce, did you get that? The chaplain, to reinforce the acceptance of the what? Cause in the minds of the church members and often justified the uh, demonetization. Blah, blah, blah. What? Thank you. Of the opponents, not only to members of the defense forces, but to their family and friends. You had them going after each other. Are you with me? In Rwanda, you had Seven Day Adventists killing Seven Day Adventists. Now, how do you justify that? Can you throw Romans 13, 1, that we're supposed to obey those who have rule over us? Can, can you throw that in there, that mix? So they're all justified for shooting at each other? Is that the gospel message? A young gentleman was here, or a gentleman was here yesterday, and he was over in Africa during a, a certain time, and he worked in the medical field. And he says, you wouldn't believe the abuses that were going on among church members because they thought they needed to follow their government. Brothers and sisters, we'll be obedient to our government until it crosses the line of obedience to the Word of God. Amen? Amen? But they didn't get that. We have records of seven-day Adventists shooting seven-day Adventists in World War II. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't make sense, does it? Absolutely. But that's what the chaplain's role is. The expectation of the military for the chaplain is that he legitimizes killing. He sears the conscience. That's his role. The military chaplaincy gave moral legitimacy to a culture characterized by the uh, perpetration of gross human right abuses. It served to filter out dissenting voices to strengthen the resolve to kill and to reassure the doubting soldier that he or she was serving the purposes of God. In spite of professions of loyalty higher than that of the state, chaplains found themselves lending succor to persons trying to kill enemy soldiers who were sometimes members of their own denomination. This is from Catholics. This is the Notre Dame Press. They know this. Have mercy. My Bible says that we're to go to preach the gospel into how much of the world? Except for enemies of the United States. Is that what it says? Mercy. Now I want you to watch this. Please pay attention to these video clips. These are live shots. This comes from a documentary that was done in Canada, in Toronto, Canada, called God's Soldier. Now, I believe I'm in the Lord's army. How about you? I'm a soldier of the cross, but I don't wear that uniform. Listen. As soon as I find my cursor, there we go. I believe some of these guys are going to have a real hard time in the event they have to engage a pregnant wife elderly man but then again the chaplain would be there to help explain them that they are enemy and they had to visualize did you get that he said if I, I, if I have a problem where I shot a pregnant woman 
Well, then I would just go to Chaplin. He put it all in perspective that they're the enemy and they need to be neutralized. What? That's what the soldier says the chaplain's there for. Is that really our message? Like I said in the first session, you take up that cold steel. It has no personality to it. Huh? It's magazine fed. How many rounds can you put in these things, the M16 again? 45? 25. It's, it's semi or automatic, shoulder slung, gas operated. I put that thing up there to my intended purpose. When I pull that trigger, I just pronounce judgment on that person. I say they're not worth it. Is that our message? Is that compatible with the Seventh-day Adventist message? Absolutely not. Heard what he said? He even said a pregnant woman. That's deep. But if I have a problem with it or my conscience is, is raised up and says, I just go to the chapel and he puts it all in perspective for me. She had to be neutralized. They're the enemy. Have mercy. Around the time of the Reformation, Christians fought Christians, both sides accompanied by their men of God. In the wars of the three kingdoms, the work of the chaplains varied widely, depending on the cause they supported and the nature of the enemy they faced. Chaplains' relations with Native Americans were mixed at best. They missionized and baptized them, but they also took part in brutal campaigns against them. It's all history. During the Civil War, chaplains felt the tension between preparing men to die and strengthening their resolve to kill. Of course, all the major Christian denominations supported the war, and no one enlisted as a chaplain unless he was prepared to pray for the victory of his armed forces. The Bible says that we're to pray for our enemies. Now, can you imagine? We're in a setting, and I got all my soldiers around me, and we're getting ready to go into combat, and I say, okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Father God, I pray that you'll watch over these soldiers, our soldiers, the soldiers that are defending your will. And I pray that as they go into combat, Lord, that you'll protect and not one of them will go hurt, get hurt. But Lord, I want to add to that prayer. I want to pray for the other side. And as our soldiers engage, I pray that you'll protect them also. And that none of them will get hurt either. And not one bullet will, will pierce them and, and that there will be no harm and Boy, them soldiers are ready to fight after that pep talk, ain't they? After that prayer, right? Huh? Oh, they're ready to engage in war. Is that the prayer that the chaplain's going to pray? But doesn't our Bible tell us that we're to pray for our enemies? You're going to hear a prayer of, of a chaplain. Incredible. So, is God on our side? During the First World War, from Russia to Australia, chaplains stood alongside those who fought and died with the message, God is on us our side. Now remember I told you someone asked the question, well, Pastor, what about Hitler? He had to be taken care of. I let God take care of that. Amen? I don't need to be partaking that. God can take care of that. Well, what wonder if, if, if they did take over and I'd just make the claim, well, then I'd be preaching this in German today. Amen? I leave war up to God. He's mighty in battle. Amen? He didn't commission me. He said to me, preach the gospel. He didn't tell me to go to war. Amen? So, the military's understanding of the chaplain's role. This is what the military's understanding. Now, I believe that the chaplain goes in with the right intention. Amen? Amen? Just like the medic. But he's not going to fulfill his role. He's going to fulfill the role of the military. 
they're going to make sure he fulfills their expectations. Combat conditions generally preclude a formal program of character, guidance, instruction, but the need is even more evident. False ideas of relaxation and recreation in the combat zone generate subtle temptation for men to accept lower moral standards than were characteristic of their normal uh, social and religious backgrounds. Likewise, the stress and violence of combat leaves men physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. And where's that one? What's the biggest thing that our soldiers are coming back with? Or United States soldiers are coming back with? What's it called again? Post-traumatic You know what these soldiers are going through? Have mercy. And the only way you can remove that guilt is by saying that God was on our side. The only way you can do it. That you're justified for taking that person's life. In these circumstances, the chaplain can advise his commander and assist the staff by planning and leading group discussions in the positive aspects of moral courage, the spirit of sacrifice. Moral courage in what? Taking a life, fighting, sense of duty and integrity. During his daily contacts, counseling, and visits to small groups, the chaplain will, by his own pastoral example and spiritual ministry, buttress the noble qualities of the character which success in combat demands. That's the Department of the Army, the chaplain. This is what they say. Now, watch this. Please pay attention to this. I might have to play it twice because I, I really want you to get this. Listen to this chaplain. But one recruit has asked to see the chaplain. I've uh, come to see the chaplain because I don't agree with what I have to do here, so I just came for some clarification. What if I possibly identify a person who I believe to be an insurgent, and I think they're trying to throw something that might be a grenade or something at my, my vehicle, and I, I shoot them, and then it turns out to, to be trash or something like that? Well, unfortunately, that's called collateral damage. In war, is hell, right? Unfortunately, citizens get killed in war. Now, here's the thing. Here we That's the chaplain. Okay, in the place right over there with criminals and thugs, etc., etc. On a daily basis, you're going to be faced real soon with life and death decisions. And you have really got to hammer this stuff out. Because if you wait, I'm on exportation. A guy named Sergeant Jacobs waited when a 12 year old girl walked up to him and handed him a, a bottle. If you're searching and prayerfully asking God to show you what to do, He will show you. Welcome again, man. Great to have you. I mean, there are people have had problems with this topic for ages. It's not something that's going to be resolved tonight either. But they definitely need to, before they go out into harm's way, have a good, strong idea about what they're going to do. In a, in, a, in a firefight, in a, an ambush, whatever. On missions like this, the Wolfhounds know they are likely to come under enemy fire. So Popoff gives his men a final blessing. Father God, thank you for your word. This listen, listen to this prayer. The secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say the, the last words the soldiers will take into battle come not only from their commanders, but from their chaplain. I pray that you would give them the ability to exterminate the enemy and to accomplish the task that they've been sent forth by God and country to do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
Every soldier should know Romans 13, that the government is set up by God, and the magistrate, or the one who wields the sword, you have not swords, but 50 cows and nothing like that, does not yield it in vain, because the magistrate has been called, that's you, to execute wrath upon those who do evil. Did you get that? See, listen, they're just thugs over there. So I guess we don't witness any criminals, I guess, huh? Because they're thugs. And listen, we're here to reel the wrath of God. God has set you. You see, here is, did you hear his prayer? That, that, that we're able to exterminate. Did you listen to what he was saying? Is that compatible with our message? Is that what God's saying about them people? Maybe he didn't die for anybody in Iraq. Maybe they're without hope. And when he reads Romans 13, he takes that out of context. Go to, Roman, context. Go to Romans 13 real quick. Let's talk about being obedient. Romans chapter 13. And I want to start with verse 1. Same in if you're there. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that are ordained of God. Whoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive in themselves damnation. So there you have it. But let's keep it in context. Verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. Let's keep it in context. The government is supposed to support laws and legislations that help us be kind to one another. How do I know? Verse 9. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. That's what the government's there for. To make sure that we take care of each other, that we're kind and loving to one another. Amen? That's the context of being obedient to the country we live in. He just took that right out of context. Amen? And when the country goes outside of the will of God, are we still supposed to obey it? That's why Peter said we ought to obey God rather than man. Took it right out of context. Did you get that prayer he prayed? Is that our prayer? Is it compatible with the vows we took? Have mercy. While we were in Iraq... The ground war was going on, and we had combat support hospital right there in Camp Durai. That was receiving wounded soldiers. Chaplain Yost and I visited the hospital and talked to some of these soldiers. That experience was humbling because these soldiers continued to show their professionalism, their dedication, their commitment to each other, even though they were wounded. You just can't help but be proud to do whatever you can to help soldiers like that to perform their mission and to prepare them for some of the difficult experiences they may face. That's probably the strongest argument I can think of for the chaplaincy. We're there to support the soldiers that are accomplishing those dangerous missions. He's saying the best reason for the chaplain to be in the army is that we support the soldier and encourage them to go out and fulfill their mission and their duty. Now the chaplain goes in, I'm in there to save souls for the kingdom of God. But the military's expectation is what? 
they used to support the soldiers, sear their consciences are able without hesitation, like that chaplain said, listen, you can't hesitate. Because that costs your life and your, and, and your fellow soldier's life. You have to be able to pull that trigger without hesitation. And brothers and sisters, for the Christian, that's not natural. Amen? It's not natural for us to want to take someone's life. But that's why the chaplain's there. God is on our side. They're just thugs over there. And God will understand. There's always, listen, do you remember what he said? Collateral damage. Have mercy. Captain Dan Moore, professor, he said, despite challenges, he thinks it is important for soldiers to have a belief system. Now watch how he contradicts himself. I think faith in a higher being, religion is an important guide to military people and a what? A what? Restraint. Now watch what he goes on to say. Maybe you can put this together for me. It makes us appreciate life on both sides. Did you get me? Remember the chaplain's prayer. <laughs> it makes us appreciate life on both sides and really try to limit the loss of life. What? Now watch what he goes on to say here. It is essential foundation, an essential foundation for winning military conflicts. That's not what he said in his prayer. Amen? Totally contradicting himself. Well, here's another one. Now watch what the chaplain says. Listen what he says. Now this chaplain right here, I watched the whole documentary. This poor chaplain is in turmoil. Why? Because, you know, he don't have, he's not living the whole truth. He don't understand the full truth. So he, he's having problems with conscience because he might not understand why he's doing it. He can't reason why he's having that conflict. But he's having that conflict because he's preaching a confused message. Conflicting message. Watch what he says. If the chaplain doesn't help to forge a moral code for war and for killing, then who, may I ask, is going to do that? You have to help them to understand when is it proper to kill. Because if it's not proper to kill, then why are we here for it? He said he forges, the, the chaplain is the one that forges the moral code. Did you get that, brother? Who forges the moral code? The chaplain. Now, for a seven-day Adventist, who forges the moral code? God. He said, if, if, if they don't know that there's a time to kill, we're not out here to, to kill them, what are we doing here? Did you get that? He, and he's in turmoil. If you listen to the rest of the documentary, this poor guy, he's crying he, because he's preaching a confused message. He just don't know why. Amen? He's trying to say it's okay to kill, but he knows in his heart of hearts, being trying to be a man of God, that's wrong. Amen? There's a sensibility within him knowing that that can't be right, but, he, but we're in war. And, and, and I've been taught by the chaplains that are over me that, and I, I, I think I understand Romans 13. You see what a misinterpretation of Romans 13 can do to a man? And he's in conflict. Oh, you know, my heart goes out to the brother. Amen? My heart goes out to him. Now, what about Revelation 13? Let me ask you a question. How many in here understand who the second beast power is of Revelation 13? No, please raise your hand if you know. Okay, how many don't know? One, I guess everybody else who didn't raise their hand. Listen, this is tragic. Because if you don't know who, it's not your fault. Listen, we, we need to really, as pastors, be preaching our prophetic message. Amen? Amen. 
The problem with us today is our eschatology, eschatology just means the study of future events, is not forming our character right now. We don't know who we are. We have an identity crisis. God says this is who he's coming for, a remnant people that love him, that preach him, that live for him. This is who that, that's our eschatology. That's who he's coming for. And that should be forming our character right now. We're looking there. Amen? But it's not. The second beast power of Revelation 13 is Protestant America. It's Protestant who? And the Bible says that they will form an image to the beast and force all, both small, great, rich, poor, to, to receive the mark of the beast. Now listen, let me ask you a question. If Protestant America is the second beast power of Revelation 13, now who's the first beast power? The Roman Catholic Church. Amen. If they are going to form an image to the first beast, that means church and state will unite, right? And who are they going to use to enforce their laws? Come on, you can say it. The who? The military. the military. And so our people are being conditioned that join the military to devalue and be desensitized to the value of life. Oh, I, I don't know how I can make this plea any greater. That's tragic. Huh? Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more. I came to seek and save the lost. I came to give life. I am the life. I am the bread. Uh, that's Jesus' method. That's what Jesus wants. And yet these soldiers are being desensitized to the value of life. These video games are desensitizing our young people to the value of life. And we say, raw. No, that's not God's message. Did I read that? No. When the leading churches of the United States, uniting upon such points of doctrine as are held by them in common, shall influence the state to enforce their decrees and to sustain their institution, then Protestant America will have formed an image to the Roman hierarchy, and the infliction of civil penalties upon dissenters will inevitably result. As the Sabbath has become a special point of controversy throughout Christendom, oh, I like how he preached on Seventh Day Adventist name, huh? I had a church that I came into, they're a new church plant, just started, and they didn't want to call themselves Seventh Day Adventist because they didn't want to offend anybody. Of course, they didn't win anybody, but they didn't want to offend anybody. And, and they didn't want to wear ties. Because they fear that might be offensive to those who didn't want to wear ties. Because you don't understand, Jesus accepts me the way I am. Well, let me ask you a question. What other way is he going to accept you? Right? That makes sense? What other way is Jesus going to accept you but the way you are? But after you've been with him a while, there ought to be a change. Amen? Amen? You're being formed more and more in his image. And I said, listen, if you're an elder in my church, I ain't having that. We're at 15 people at that time. We're at 60 now with a lot of young people. And they come in. I don't tell them what they got to wear. They come in and say, Pastor, because I put them on platform duty. I have them do deacon duty. I have all these young people. They're working like crazy. Huh? And they come in and say, Pastor, but I don't have a tie. We don't. We go, I go out and buy them a suit. I bring in a bunch of ties on a coat hanger in the foyer. They put on them ties. They're looking good in there. They walk around. Look at me, Pastor. And you know what got me the most? Is when a young little man named Elijah, his dad was a drug addict. He's off there. He only has to give up cigarettes now before he gets baptized. He's coming to church. Praise God. His mother's getting baptized on the 27th. Praise God. But he gave me a call one day and he said this. He says, Pastor Phillips, all right if I read something in church this Sabbath, 
find out what that is, you know. I said, well, Elijah, and he's 10, 11. I said, well, Elijah, what is it? He said, well, in, in school we had to write a report, a one-page report on our hero. And I said, well, sure, and I'm thinking in my heart of hearts, please say Jesus, please say Jesus, please say Jesus. I say, okay. And I said, well, how long is it? He says, well, it's one page. He says, it's all right if I do it. And I said, well, well, well sure, but uh, what's it about and who's it about? He said, well, he says, it said about my hero and pastor, you're my hero. And I'm crying on the phone. <laughs> Trying to be tough at the same time, you know. I said, but Elijah, you know, it, it's Jesus that's my hero. And he says, I know, Pastor. And I'm still crying like a little baby. You know, I want to hear my voice is cracking on the phone. You know what I mean? Huh? Huh? But I had to make sure I pointed that brother to Jesus. Amen? But praise God, our kids. Uh, he didn't say Michael Jordan. He didn't say this person. He said a pastor. Huh? That's why I tell my elders, my deacons and deaconesses, I said, look good. Don't worry about what they... Listen, and most women like a sharp-dressed man. Amen, women? Amen. Huh? You know, I don't know where this grunge stuff came... Well, I guess we were into that stuff, ripped jeans. I was cool at that time, you know. <laughs> we, I, you know what? Don't think it's new. It just keeps repeating itself. All right? <laughs> and so, but I know most women like the man when they smell good and look good. Hmm? You know, I know my son, he's in that thing where they comb their hair, like a little bit like you. They comb the hair, and then he gets in and he messes it up. I said, why'd you even comb it? Well, Dad's got to be just right, right? I'm a little slow. I, it's got to be just right. I say, how do you mess up something just right? <laughs> but I, I'm not there yet, you know. Hey, it's cool. You know, he's sharp, looks sharp, you know. God bless him. I just don't get it. You know, you know, old people don't get us, you know, I guess. All right. But praise God. But you know what? These young people are looking for something to be an example. And if you're not going to be the example in your churches, they'll find it out in the world. They will find someone to follow and emulate. You say, well, they got to emulate Jesus, but they need to spot, find someone following Jesus to emulate. Amen. And if we don't set the example, this is why the military is such a problem, because no one's speaking on it. They see these soldiers coming, looking good, talking all these glorious uh, songs about the military and, and these testimonies stuff like this. And our kids, I want to be a hero. Not like Jesus, I want to be like them. We need to set the example, brothers and sisters. You need to set them. You got young people in your churches looking at you. I guarantee you. They're watching you. You might not think they're not. Oh, that little squirt. He's always bothering me. He's always hanging. He's watching you. She's watching you. Set them a good example. The worst problem we have with our young people today is they're getting bad examples from their parents. Sometimes from the church leaders. But that don't, that don't say that you're still not accountable. Amen? So if you know they're setting a bad example, then you set the right example. Amen? But pastor, nothing's going on in my church. Then you be what's going on in your church. Amen. 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 You be what's happening in your church. So, as the Sabbath has become, it, it will a special point of controversy throughout Christendom, and religious and secular authorities have combined to enforce the observance of the of the Sunday. The persistent refusal of a how many majority? That's sad, isn't it? 
A small majority to yield to the popular demand will make them objects of universal extraction. It will be urged that the few who stand in opposition to an institution of the church and a law of the state ought not to be tolerated. That it is better for them to suffer than for whole nations to be thrown into confusion and lawlessness. The same argument 1800 years ago was brought against Christ by the rulers of the people when they said, It is expedient for us, said the wily Caiaphas, that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. This argument will appear conclusive and a decree will finally be issued against those who hollow the Sabbath of the fourth commandment. But if you're going to the military, you're going to break the fourth. And guess what's going to happen after you break the first one? Guess how easy it's going to be able to break the second? And then the third. And then the fourth. Had a young girl when I was at Andrews University said she was going to join the military. I pleaded with her. I pleaded with her. and she, But she had a bunch of church members say, no, you got ACM from the general conference. They'll protect you. They'll watch after you. I said, no, they can't protect anything. I wish somebody would have come up and told me when I was an NCO, a sergeant in the military, and told me what I had to do with one of my soldiers. It ain't going to happen. Oh, no, they'll protect you. So she went in. Three months later, she was out. Dishonorable discharge. She said, Keith, I couldn't keep the Sabbath. I said, I know. Why put yourself through that? But I only had to break one or two. Or one of death found you on that day that you were breaking the Sabbath. You want to take that chance? Uh, I hope not. Denouncing them as deserving of the severest punishment and giving the people liberty after a certain time to put them to death. Romanism in the old world and apostate Protestantism in the new will pursue a similar course toward those who honor all. How many? All the divine precepts. So, what are the implications? One is, it sends a confused message. You wear a uniform, how are you going to preach? You wear a uniform of war, BDU. Breasts, uh, breasts, battle dress uniform. All right, now get focused back on, on the message. Battle dress uniform. You wear your fatigues. Them fatigues are recognized for people in the military. And when you see that, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? War. Amen? Fighting. Now, we like to use the term defense. <laughs> no, it's engaging in war. Now, and then out of your mouth is going to come this message. I love Jesus. Do you? Keep the Sabbath. Do not kill. Huh? It's like a prostitute coming. And she's got all of her stuff on. And gaily, she's dressed up. And she said, where are you going? I'm going to church. Really? Does it really fit? Or someone comes up in blue jeans and a tank top. Where are you going? Well, I, I'm getting ready to head to the altar right now. I'm getting married. <laughs> Doesn't go together, does it? And when you wear that uniform, it sends a confused message to people. No man can serve two masters. How many remember Ahab? Hmm? Jehoshaphat? Okay, Jehoshaphat. Ahab wants to go to war. And Jehoshaphat says, well, 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 we want to get some reassurance. What does God say? Well, I have 400 prophets. See, they were on the payroll. I got these 400 prophets, and they all say, go ahead. And Jehoshaphat says, well, don't we got anybody else? What about Mikai? Uh, what about him? Oh, no, no, no. He never says anything good about me. 
Huh? But, but Joseph says, no, I want to I wanna hear what he has to say. So Micaiah comes over there, and of course he didn't have anything good to say about Ahab. And Ahab said, see, see. He don't have anything good to say about me. But the prophets on the payroll said what? Now let me ask you a question. If I'm on the payroll and I'm a chaplain, and they're paying me, you think I'm going to... You think I have the wherewithal to go to the commander-in-chief, the president of the state, and say, hey, listen, you're wrong to go to war. You shouldn't be killing. Got to keep the Sabbath. Think he's going to do that? Come on now. Be serious. Is he? Absolutely not. He's on the payroll. Well, see, the pastor that's not on the payroll, he can say it. Someone who's on the payroll is going to be conditioned. Uh-uh, this is job security. I better not say something like that. Are you with me? Don't get on the payroll, brother and sister. Huh? You've already been bought. So there's an identity crisis. Baptizing the church, sworn to the military. And I, I announce this again. I know it's a plea, but I am selling this for $5. Originally, it's $13. Uh, at the bookstore, $5. At Venice Firm uh, Bookstore in the, where they have all the booths. And so, please pick this up. BRI wrote a great review. Biblical Research Institute wrote a great review on it. Uh, matter of fact, we had two people yesterday. Uh, they're not going to the military. Praise God. Matter of fact, one girl, she had already signed up. She's already supposed to report. But she didn't know she could still get out of it. She's sworn in everything, but she hasn't went. And she called her dad yesterday. And says, Dad, I'm not going. Guess what dad did? Dad was rejoiced. And I told her, she's only 20 years old. I said, honey, listen. Does your dad love you? He said, yeah. Does he spoil you? Yeah. Well, why do you want to stop that? <laughs> Amen? That doesn't make sense. Problem is, my daughter's already hip to that. <laughs> she, she's staying home forever, she says. You know, I ain't never leaving dad. You know, money grows on trees. I know it. You know? Come on, dad, you know what I'm talking about? But she's not going. Then I had a young gentleman standing right here yesterday, Travis. We stood right there and we prayed, and this brother was in tears. Next week he's supposed to sign into the military. His whole family was in the military. And after I gave this presentation, he said, I know I shouldn't. He said, but there's something in me. I said, I know you're going to fight that for a while. I said, but you're 18 years old. Enjoy life. God's called you to the ministry. You can't do it there. Ask him to show you where, what, when, and how. And he was pouring out tears right there. Broke my heart. He said, all right, I'm not going in. I gave him my phone number. I said, but you change your mind. You give me a call quick. We need to be praying for our young people. Amen? Amen. They feel that there's no other option. They got all this debt from our universities and stuff like this. And they feel that the army offers them all this money. No, they're buying your allegiance. They're just prostituting you out. That's all they're doing. You are theirs. They own you. We've got to be careful. Is our message, the seven-day Venice message, inclusive or exclusive regarding the enemy of the United States? Well, see, if they're the enemy of the United States, then, well, huh? they don't get the message. Is that true? No. How many of you from another country other than the United States? Wow. Praise God. I love our message. Amen. 
to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. No matter what color, what race, what creed, we all can be one. Amen? Amen. Now imagine if we went to war with Germany again. My wife would be my enemy. She's German, from Germany. Huh? Have mercy. That's not our message. The Bible says, go into all the world. How much of the world? All. Except Iraq. Don't preach that. They are thugs. <laughs> Collateral damage. Is that what that's saying? No. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, 15. Now watch this. And the spirit and the bride say what? And him that heareth say what? Now how many of you have heard the gospel message before? Come on. Raise your hand. Guess what you're obligated to do? Say it. <laughs> Preach. Say it. Say what? Come. Not go away. But what? Come. That's our message. And let him that a thirst say come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water freely. Whoever he is, let him say come. Everyone who has received Christ is called to work for the salvation of his fellow men. Who is? Everyone. Anybody excluded in here? No. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come. The charge to give this invitation includes the entire church. How much of the church? So no matter where the church is at, no matter where people are at, we're to say what? Come. Preach. Everyone who has heard the invitation... Uh, is to echo the message from the hill and valley. Say, come. I like that. That's inspired. I didn't make that up. Okay. It's from Ellen White. Every fresh display of conviction of the grace of God upon souls of unbelievers is what? I like that. See, we have this problem. We think we're saving people. You ain't saving anybody. You're supposed to preach. Holy Spirit is the one that leads them to salvation. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Huh? So whenever conviction comes upon someone and whenever they're under conviction, get out of the way. It's divine. Yeah. Amen? Amen? I remember the first time I did it. Pastor left the church. I was baptized in the church maybe a month, two months. He left the church. I'm the only guy, everyone else in the church is over 90. And I'm giving a Bible study to a whole family. And, and I'm studying with them. And all of a sudden they got quiet and I'm looking up and they're all in tears. Head bowed. I didn't get it. I didn't know what it was. It was divine. Huh? It was the Holy Spirit. I didn't, I said, wow. And I wanted to say something, but the Holy Spirit was smarter than I did and somehow muzzled me. And I had all this stuff I want to say. I couldn't say nothing. And they just kept, they all had to it. It was divine and the Lord helped me shut up. Because <laughs> the, the, the Holy Spirit had to do its divine appointly work in their lives. Amen? It was doing it. I just didn't understand what it was. Whole family was baptized. Matter of fact, the daughter Andrea, she had never left the farm. She didn't know how to pump gas because they're farmers. She didn't even know how to pump gas at 24 years old because they lived on the farm their whole life. She's a full-time Bible worker at Michigan Conference now. Amen. Huh? Uh, their family gave up the dairy. Now they just do uh, agriculture with the soybeans, making plenty of money, and they go around building churches all the time. Amen. Matter of fact, the husband is the head elder of the church now. Praise God. Amen. Glad I didn't say something. I might have messed it all up. Amen. Every fresh display of conviction of the grace of God upon the souls of unbelievers is what again? Divine. We need to learn to keep preaching and when we see the divine, get out of the way. Amen. Now, I'm going to put this back here. This is a true story. I'm closing now. I got time. Listen. I'm going to say it 
you cannot join the military and be faithful to God at the same time. Not our message. I'm not here to condemn those who have done it. But I'm saying, without any uncertainty, that you cannot join the military, in any military, no matter where you're at, and be faithful to the Seventh-day Adventist message. You cannot do it. It's incompatible. Because if you have to say you're right here, then you have to say they're right in Iraq. You have to say they're right in Africa. You have to say when they're shooting at each other at Venice that both of them are right. Can't say that, can you? And when you pull that trigger, there's no Urim and there's no Thummim. There's no prophet to say that that person has been judged by God to exterminate them. You can't guarantee that God wants that person dead, can you? But we're being conditioned. We're being desensitized to the value of life. Please listen to this story. You're a Christian, I am too. World War II was at its height. Forces were engaged in what was known as the Battle of the Bulge or the Christmas War of 1944. The fighting was fierce in the bitter cold and snow. The Allied forces bombed and established control of a strategic area. The commanding officer turned to several of his men and said, sweep across the, that field and kill how many? All German soldiers still entrenched in the snow. I want no prisoners absolutely what none so what's the command kill how many all who the German soldiers leave how many absolutely none one of the American soldiers selected gives his account of what happened next as I walked I immediately shot and killed two wounded and suffering soldiers he continues then suddenly I approached a tall young guy with a broad what Teutonic forehead. He was leaning against a tree. He wasn't wounded, simply exhausted. He had no food, no water, no comrades in sight, no ammunition. Fear, fatigue, defeat, and loneliness overwhelmed him. He spoke English in that beautiful, wonderful, world-type accent. What was the command? When I noticed a little black Bible in his shirt pocket, he reminisces, he started to talk about Jesus and salvation. Wouldn't you know it, that lanky German soldier turned out to be a born-again Christian who deeply loved the Lord. I gave him water from my canteen. I even gave him crackers. Then we prayed and read God's word together and we wept together. Whoops. His voice began to tremble as tears splashed down his cheek. His face began to reflect anguish. It seems like only yesterday we stood a foot or so apart as he read a psalm from his German Bible. Then I read Romans 12 from my King James translation. He showed me a black and white picture of his wife and daughter. The soldier took a deep breath. You see, in those days I was a young man in my early 20s. I had just graduated from a Christian college in Illinois and hadn't had time to sort out my thoughts on the war. Maybe that's why I did what I did. I bid my German brother farewell, took several steps away, then returned to the soldier. Romans 13, thou shalt not kill commandment, the promise of eternal life, the prince of peace, the Sunday school distinction between killing and murder, the irrationality of war all swirled in my mind. When the German soldier saw me return, he bowed his head and closed his eyes in that classic prayer posture. Then it happened. I said three crisp sentences that I still repeat once or twice a week when I have nightmares about the war. You're a Christian? 
I am too. See you later. In less than a second, I transformed that defenseless Christian soldier into a corpse. And you try to tell me. You can obey God and the military at the same time? Impossible. We got our young people going into the military left and right. And you will have seven day Adventists. If you stay faithful to this message, you will have seven day Adventists persecuting you in the military when it comes to enforcing the mark of the beast. Ellen White says they'll be our worst persecutors and they'll come from within. Those who we had fellowship with, had potlucks together, and even prayed with. Have mercy. D.L. Moody says this, God cannot use you until you are willing to have the world point the finger of scorn at you. When I was getting ready to write this book, matter of fact, Samuel Pippen and Ron Dupre didn't even want their name on the book. Because that's how controversial it is and that's how, how mean some of these people from within the denomination are on the military. Uh, they put their names in it now <laughs> with some prodding. But I've been getting the finger of scorn. I believe the Lord can use me now. What do you say? I traded in my BDUs, my battle dress uniform for a suit. My M16 for the sword of the Lord. Amen. I shoot people with love, compassion. I preach the gospel, not death and destruction. If I do preach death, it's death to the old life. And then I preach the resurrection of the new life. Amen. Let me ask you a question. You willing to be scorned? from within your church. You want to take a stand for Jesus Christ? That's what it's about. Oh, but pastor, what about this person? What about that person? Listen, God blessed them where they were at, amen? He met them where they're at, but they're not my example. Jesus Christ is. People say, what about Desmond Doss? What about Decred? What about all these people? Let them be with their God, amen? You follow Jesus. Amen? Let God lead them where they're at. You preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You be a good soldier. Be a soldier of the cross. Amen? Lincoln said, When I went to Gettysburg, I then and there consecrated myself to Christ. Something happened to Lincoln at Gettysburg. Something could happen to you to change your life and make you the kind of man the world needs at this hour of history. What would happen at Gettysburg? You had brothers fighting against brothers. North against south. The blood was so saturated when Lincoln got there, it still slushed around in blood because the ground couldn't hold all the blood. He saw that carnage. He looked at it. He said, God, help us. It was then and there he consecrated himself to God. What's it going to take for you? What's it going to take for me? What will God have to do 
to encourage me to consecrate my whole life. Not just Sabbath. Huh? What's it going to take for you and me, for this army of young people to consecrate their whole life to Jesus Christ? Is it going to take something tragic like that? I pray not. Our God is a God of love. Justice is a part of that love. Amen? But let him wield the sword of justice. Amen? Me, I point people to Jesus. That's my job. That's my calling. I pray that's your calling too. Let me pray with you. Oh, Father God, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the example he set to each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that you continually help each and every one of these young people. Encourage them to follow the Master's example. Encourage them to follow Jesus. No matter if they receive ridicule or chastisement, no matter what's it take, Lord, help us to be focused on eschatology. Help us to be focused on the prize. Lord, you said you weigh our tears in a bottle. Lord, that you're going to recompense for everything we have to suffer here for your namesake. So I'm asking, I'm pleading that you will bless each and every one of us. May, Lord, we, may each and every one of us proclaim the gospel message. May we, from the hilltop, from the valley below, say, come. Come to this beautiful Savior who wants to save. To every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, Lord, may we proclaim this message. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.